welcome back to 50% Fresh, where we discuss movies that are at least, or maybe not even, 50% fresh. We're right on the edge today. <laughs> Actually, we've uh, we've gone over our, our usual threshold with one 1999 shark feature, Deep Blue Sea. Deep Blue Sea. Which uh, uh, got a 60% on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, the critics' consensus was 60%. The audience score... Thirty-nine percent, which was surprising to me that the uh, the audience. The didn't. genre stuff is usually flipped, if anything. No, I mean, there's no there's no hard rules, I suppose. But just yeah, you see all the time like people like a shark movie more than the critics, or insert monster or disaster here, mm-hmm. perhaps. Uh, and then is sixty the what am I trying to say? The worst fresh score you it could, could have. Cur- or the, yeah. If it was fifty-nine percent, it would be it would be the little squishy a squish green. Squish tomato. It's a thin line between squish and fresh. Now it's as fresh as the Godfather. Is in in this I know there's different numbers, but they have the same tomato, don't they? Is it <laughs> uh, the tomato the tomato uh can't do it. <laughs> I know because they actually there's a to- I said tomato to be an idiot, but there is a tomato meter. Mm, I think there which, it is. I love that that became the thing. That's that's almost perfect in a way, right? I'm sure it's been talked about. Like, if you choose to discuss this stuff seriously, you are stuck talking about tomatoes, and that there's a there's a beauty to that. Like, it, you should sound a little silly. It is Mad Magazine-ish <laughs> that when it's bad, it's like a green slimy yeah. splat. Yeah. I should have asked you this. At the top, perhaps, as a nice segue, but uh, it's only episode three. We're still getting still getting our bearings. Thanks, by the way, for checking out episodes one, two, and or three. Yeah. Whether you are a long-time listener or uh, you just check this out for the first time. Maybe you're Deep Blue Sea director, Rennie Harlan. <laughs> Maybe. You're like, uh, Maybe you've got your Google alerts on. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, how do you feel about about shark movies as a, as a genre? It's a limited genre. It's a, yeah, right, exactly. But uh, it's a specific thing. But, you know, this isn't news to you. But for the sake of good radio, I will tell you that I like them. My wife and I enjoy them. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, I think like any, any uh, I, I'd say a, a, a fresh tomatoes worth number of moviegoers uh, really love Jaws, right? Oh, a high of course. 90% of them. So there's Jaws. And then, yeah, uh, uh, there's stuff like this. And then, I mean, I almost equate it to, you know, we talked about this just being like, it is what it is. We both have strong feelings for this movie in the sense of it just is what it is. It's a genre. It's a shark movie. When it's executed well, it kind of hits some tropes, subverts some others. But it's a little bit just like, it's like listening to a kind of music you like, where it's like, you could argue on the merits of it. But at the end of the day, it's like, yeah, I just like this stuff, though. So Same. Whatever you have to say about it, it's going to come to the filter of like, yeah, I'm in the bag for it, I think. (laughs) Absolutely. I've always had an interest in in shark stuff. Like, uh, there's a, the Goosebumps books. Mm. Was there a good shark one? Yeah, I can't remember. There was a lot of Goosebumps This would have been a good thing, this would be a good thing to Google. But there's this one that's got like a big, it's got a big fucking, the cover of it is a big, scary fish animal and then yeah. there's a little old dinky guy uh, in there with it and uh, i grew up in or a lot of my formative years as you know but uh just for the sake of a good radio to borrow a phrase mm-hmm. um keep it hang on to it my dad was in the air force when i was a kid and uh i spent a few years growing up in hawaii i think i moved there when we were when i was like three and moved when i was about to turn eight something like that mm-hmm. but uh so the proximity to the ocean always made me oh yeah like I, I liked little mermaid yeah but i also liked yeah. shit about sharks oh, it's interesting the whole i never thought i mean i just had a you know oh yeah sharks cool but the relationship when you're 
uh, on the ocean or surrounded by it in a way, you know. I grew up in Michigan surrounded by lakes, so there was no, uh, you know, uh, it didn't hit home. Sharks might well have been zombie movies. Sure. But I, so I didn't have that, you know what I mean? Oh, interesting. I mean, but that being said, I am aware that sharks are real, so that does inherently make them more terrifying. I just think sharks are like, uh, you know, it was such a gift from the heavens to have that fin sticking out of the water to be as an honest-to-God sign of dread in nature as it is. It's just such a great thing to, like, play with cinematically. You know? It's a primal fear, and the interesting thing about sharks is it's like no matter how many Discovery Channel documentaries or little TV series things that there are about sharks that tell you that they they don't like the taste of humans, they... <laughs> They aren't just gonna decide. Chill, they aren't just gonna decide to start going on a murder rampage. Um, there's still that innate fear of sharks, and that's where Deep Blue. That's what Deep Blue Sea does correctly. Is they actually do incentivize the sharks to be fucking. No, they're they're out to get you. Yeah, these are. Out to get did you. we talk about the 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 overall plot? No, right. we should just quickly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Just um. So Deep Blue Sea is about a group of scientists on a that work at a big underwater facility that are trying to find a cure for Alzheimer's by way of experiments on sharks because sharks uh, don't show signs of degenerative brain disease as they age they don't get cancer I don't know if that's true at all. Uh, yeah. but according according to the scientists in the movie, that's 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 what we're operating under. I, I dumbed it down. You did a great job explaining it. I dumbed it down to that. There's a they're trying to get the the sauce out of the brain of sharks. Right? Yeah. There's a goo, if you will. <laughs> There's a, a super special goo mm-hmm. <laughs> that we need that, that we need to harvest. <laughs> yeah. In order to uh, in order to cure Alzheimer's in humans. But the problem with that is that sharks just got these little dinky brains, you see. They don't have they don't have enough goo. They yeah. have a donut's worth of goo. Yeah. And so right. they bigger brains. They do some they do some evil scientist shit and give the sharks bigger brains, but there's a side effect. Smart sharks. Now they have vengeance or not even vengeance. Maybe it's vengeance, but it's, I think it's, it's vengeance. It's vengeance. Maybe is it on behalf of their entire species? Are they? Here's a question: Do they have big enough brains to understand the whole like what humans and sharks what 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 we've done to them and stuff? You know, well, they don't have access to books and shit. Yeah, you're right. But <laughs> they do know. Books. They know enough to realize that <laughs> I wish they had. these humans, these creepy humans in these lab coats, are uh, they're experimenting on us, and they're our captors. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I'm just laughing about if they like had these smart sharks and they were like reading them jaws and stuff and they were just squirming around in the tank. <laughs> Getting all pissed off. And sharks never get cancer or go blind or show any loss of brain activity as they age. Unlike some people I know. <laughs> you know sharks are the oldest creatures on the planet from a time when the world was just flesh and teeth. So we lived on at Hickam Air Force Base in on Oahu, and there was a public beach nearby called Bellows, I think. And one summer, I heard that like there was a shark sighting or something, but then all of like the Jaws shit goes running through my little brain, mm-hmm. and I always just pictured shark-infested waters. Yeah, it didn't stop me from going in there. It Oddly, is... though, afraid of pools. Oh, anytime I was swimming in a yeah. pool, I, it just occurred to me like, what if there was a fucking shark in here? Wouldn't that be scary? Well, the thing, one of the things that's so scary about it is obviously, you know, there's, there's a ton of animals in the animal kingdom that are kill crazy and have fucking horns and fangs and what have yous. 
But then the added thing of like you're in water and you can't move worth a shit, mm-hmm. so scary. Mm-hmm. You're just like this little like you know, it's <laughs> you're just so fucked. Uh, yeah. So deep blue sea on uh, July thirtieth, nineteen ninety nine. Director Rennie Harlan <laughs> blessed. I like him. the cinematic, the cinematic landscape with with deep blue sea, uh, starring. Saffron Burroughs, Thomas Jane, Samuel L. Jackson, Michael Rappaport, and one LL Cool J. Also honorable mention, Aida Tutoro. Of course. Janice Soprano. Janice Soprano. Who's Saffron Burroughs? Who is that? Uh, that? In the movie. The British doctor, the main character. Oh, sure. Okay. Well, yeah. it's kind of an ensemble. Yeah, I guess so. I just, okay. But she's like uh, the, the lead no, scientist. I mean, hey, no disrespect. And but... Samuel L. Jackson plays... Uh, He's the the big suit money rolling this whole bank rolling this whole yeah thing. He's yeah. he's the suit. So he's kind kind of coming in, and there's this looming thing of uh, he wants to stop the funding because it's so expensive, or they're not making progress, or some shit like that. Mm-hmm. That's what I was saying. I forget what I got whole distracted by. There's a she comes in and throws the newspaper, mm-hmm. and whatever the newspaper says is something like. Yeah, losing funding or, you know, uh, sharks are out of control. I forget what, because I literally wrote down, like, you can't really throw a newspaper on a guy's desk anymore. That's like, we used to really be able to, like, barge in <laughs> and you could, like, skip the whole first Have you seen part the paper? of whatever you were going to do or fight about <laughs> or talk. You could just throw it in there and be like, what the fuck is this? I gotta look at it, you know. Oh, I see. Well, so here's what he happens. Got, uh, he's got a bark. I'm not sure how much of the dogs were cutting out, so apologies for all the dog noises that you might hear. When the movie the movie opens with a classic, uh, lots of young people in bikinis and other pretty steamy double date. Out <laughs> yeah, on the steamy lake. double date. There's very, there's music. Um, They're on a boat at night for some reason. It's very the tr- like the classic. It could be Friday the Thirteenth if they were in the woods. It's it could be Jaws. Or out in a a nice boat made for four. It could be any of Jaws. There's something. It was, I think they're like at a party yeah. and a guy and a girl kind of mosey off. Well, the girl, more than mosey, she like sprints off and the guy is like, hang on, man. That's why he doesn't get out there. Right. Okay. Just her. But yeah. So they're out uh, all partying on the boat and what happens, but they're attacked by, by one of these sharks that ends up being, being our, our super genius, mm-hmm. super genius mm-hmm. sharks. And uh, you might think there's definitely a sense of foreboding. I mean, you can't be having so much fun in a horror movie without something bad happening to yeah. you. And then so uh, they're they're having a good time, and their good time is interrupted when there's big smash, something large is smashing into the mm-hmm, boat. Mm-hmm. They're just anchored. They're not hurting anyone. No, they're, they're just... Trying just... To, you know, I think they're doing the responsible thing because they decided to drink wine. So you pull over and you anchor, <laughs> and then things happen, you know. They probably departed as a sea crew, and then they got romantic out there. I don't know. But no, um... Yeah, you I, you watch a movie and and I don't I, you know we're careful about spoilers, but this is the beginning of a movie, so we'll talk about it, right? Sure. You watch a movie, and you go, a lot of people are fucking toast. Of course, and they're not toast, right? You you fully expect that. Uh, the you know they they get knocked in the water. Turns out it's one of the super smart sharks has escaped the facility, but then enter uh, our our hero. I, Tom, I guess so. One I of our so. one of our heroes. Lowercase uh, H hero. <laughs> Thomas Jane. Thomas the, Jane. Who, for lack of a better guy, main character of the movie. <laughs> you know. Yeah. The main you will say this the main human character of the movie. He's the shark whisperer of the movie. Um he's Carter he plays Carter Blake. Thomas Jane playing Carter Blake. Uh, maybe he, the other way around. He wrangles the shark away from... He uh, saves the day. He, yeah, yeah, yeah. comes it's in, like saves a, the day. Is it like a harpooning situation? Yeah, it is a harpooning situation. Yeah, right. And the then 
But that but that incident causes financial backers to be all pissed off. So then they send corporate executive Russell Franklin, played by Samuel Jackson, mm-hmm. to go see what the fuck's going on yeah. at, the, at the facility. I like some people are in the position that, you know, you're kind of overreacting about the shark attack. <laughs> I guess it's the counter, the pushback he experiences maybe, right? Nothing Let, happened. Off, man. <laughs> what, are you going to shut us down because a shark attacks some people? Because the shark escaped it, and then got back in there somehow? Because we made it smart as hell? Yeah. Well, I guess I didn't get back in there somehow, because whatever. Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. So, a couple things worth mentioning here. Samuel Jackson was initially supposed to play the the role that uh, LL Cool J plays. Mm-hmm. In, uh, he plays sort of like a chef that works at the underwater facility. But Samuel Jackson's team didn't like the idea of him playing a chef. So then Rennie Harlan created the role. <laughs> But uh, the DVD commentary, I do know, uh, is uh, Rennie Harlan and Samuel Jackson, and apparently this little tidbit came from there. Okay, so... So I, I have no so further inclined, information. We, you can really dive in if you want. If you're done listening to our Deep Lucy podcast and need some more, you can put on the thing with the commentary and listen, and you can see if they fight him. <laughs> or if he gets if he gets ornery when the notion of him playing a chef comes up. But then, you know, LL comes in and kills it. Yeah, and that's that's what's, uh, what's interesting. Garnered mixed reviews... Um, we were joking about this earlier uh, before we were were recording. Like, doesn't technically every single movie have mixed reviews? Mm-hmm. For the odds that they're all one way or the other, but even the negative reviews all praised, or the the ones that I came across anyway, all the negative reviews still praised LL Cool J's performance. LL Cool J, his character's name is Preacher, I believe. Yeah. He also um, it ended up being great casting on Rennie Harlan's behalf because he also supplies the title. The title track. The title, you the track. title you, you, it's the same with Jackson sure. wasn't going to do that. Deepest bluest. My heart is like a shark fin. Yeah. Shark's fin. It, which is a. Uh, he, what, yeah. It's 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 the end credit song and it's it's just perfect. He it's, didn't already have that song. Let's be real. It's you the know. perfect song for Deep Blue Sea. It is really good and and I mean it really is. Uh, it, it's it sounds like 1999 in a good way, you know. LL Cool J. It was decades into his rap career by then, but was still uh, was still putting out putting out hits. And I think uh, I don't know the exact timeline, but certainly transitioning into acting at that point. But he is in that cool space to kind of be in in both a little bit. Whereas mm-hmm. a lot of people now probably know him mostly from acting because I, you know, like yeah. he, he acted well after. I think he was putting out a ton of music. I may be mistaken. That's my impression. Um, as uh, as we talked about before. He's so funny you know, on that one rock. episode of Thirty yeah, Rock. He's he's right? one episode I think. I don't think he ever comes back, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. and it's pretty early in the series, and mm-hmm. it's still just like one of the one mm-hmm. of the funniest. And, and, and we're talking about where it's, it's it's rarefied air, and we spend a lot of time talking about this, and, and we might we might dive into it a little bit here, but so because of that you get a really great uh, it talk about so it sounds like nineteen ninety nine great way. Another thing that was just happening right then, mostly because of him and Will Smith, were people rapping title tracks to movies, which is just. <laughs> Uh, uh, we, we thought uh, a little bit about it, about yeah. if there's much of a history there. It's few and far between. It's really rare. Uh, yeah, if you want to say a few fun ones you came up with. Yeah. Like, yeah. We, well, uh, surprisingly, trying to do research on what title tracks have been performed by people who act in the movie. Mm-hmm. And that, sing about the title of the movie. Maybe I, was, I just wasn't using the right keyword searches. I don't know. But I really couldn't find the information I was looking for. But what I was able to piece together... Um, Dolly Parton sings 9 to 5, five. of course, from of 9 course. to 5. And then you hear these, you go, of course, but there's just so many movies to consider. Great song, great movie. Yeah. Uh, Prince sings Purple Rain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, he sings a lot of fucking songs. Exactly. And, 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 and <laughs> I, I, I wonder if there's some other examples, like, that's, 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 a, that's a, you know, a film that is also 
there, you know, there's an album, you know, if, there, if there's things that are sort of like rolled up like that, it's just like something, but versus then, uh, then Will Smith is the obvious king of it because we went men and black into wild, wild west is of just unheard of, uncanny, He's ridiculous. John Wayne could never, or any other movie star you like. And, uh, it wouldn't surprise me to know that even more modern movies have, he's done the same thing for. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But I mean, did he rap a sad one for the pursuit of happiness? I never saw that movie. <laughs> I did see it. I don't remember. <laughs> I doubt he did. Oh, so uh, Rennie Harlan was so taken by LL Cool J, much like much like the eventual critics would be. Mm. I found an interview uh, from some newspaper. What did you What did you say when you? Uh, I, I like I found it, and it looks like microfilm on the computer. And yeah, she looked like she was in here working on a case. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like the old newspaper. <laughs> you go to the library and. You used to dial it with your hand and actually <laughs> go through film. I know you were using Enhance. you were using the internet, but it sure looked, it sure looked like you were solving an X file or something. <laughs> but uh, yeah, then that made me feel old too because just a movie that I have loved my whole life is old you enough. Find, you find to... newspaper scrappings of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, right. So it was a 99 interview, July 31st. So I think one day after the movie came out mm-hmm. with the Reading Eagle. Um, Randy Harlan just talked about, uh, talked about the movie and talked about being surprised specifically by LL Cool J. So I'll just read the quote from him here. I'm not going to do his Finnish accent either. Um, but I wanted to have one character who brings a lot of warmth and humor to the film without it being joke type humor. And I'd seen him in several films and felt he had this great charisma. So I met with him and, and was really very impressed and forced the studio into hiring him. <laughs> and he turned out to be a huge asset yeah. to the film. Everyone's favorite part. Or a lot of people's, you know, own thing to say whatever, yeah. And apparently he was going to get killed off and they changed that. Because he, he, he also says oh. he was originally going to be shark meat quite early on. But he oh, had, good. But he was so good yeah. we kept him around. You know, there's more than one piece of information. So it sounds like they were making this movie up as they went. I know. They keep changing things. He can stick around. Hey, Samuel Jackson, we got a part. No, no, no we have a part. Come back tomorrow. Uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, which is why I opted to not talk about the writers at all because it sounds like the script was bought much like uh, much earlier than the movie ended up being made, and they rewrote the, it, yeah, rewrote, rewrote it. The fly. Yeah, I do know is it like a couple, the Powerses or something. It, mm-hmm. it was a very. Uh, it just reminded me of somewhere between like Eastbound and Down, and, uh, and maybe like Homer's <laughs> Alias of Max Power. It just did that whole Donna so, and Wayne Powers. That was it, Donna and Wayne Powers. Yeah. And apparently it was more of, like, much more of an espionage type move, like military espionage. What's going on in this lab? Yeah. Do you hear what they're doing? Oh, they're doing shark sauce in the brains. Yeah. I yeah. want to see that movie with the exact same cast. That's interesting. Yeah. Oh, also worth mentioning, um, just, I mean, we, we, we talked about when we, when we rewatched this movie that maybe the two weakest actors are the two, if you had to pick two main characters, it's uh-huh. uh, it's Saffron Burroughs and, and Thomas Jane. Mm-hmm. Because you have, I mean, we just talked about L. Cool J. Samuel Jackson, but then you also have Stellan, Stellan Skarsgård. Mm-hmm. He's, He's great. Great actor. And uh, Michael Rappaport, who I you know grew up appreciating his supporting roles in films like this and other stuff. Like he's he's a good. I can't think of too many movies I've seen him carry, but like if you throw him on the team, he's a good. He comes off the bench. He's a good. You know what I mean? He's he's he's. I always I always just. Uh, you know, and he's always playing a very Michael Rappaport esque character, but I just find there's often there's often room for that energy, right? Maybe because it's new information, it's recent information mm-hmm. to me. Mm-hmm. But all I could think about when watching him on screen 
was that he was Natasha Leon's landlord that kicked her out. You remember me telling you? Yeah. I was just, I was recently reading Natasha Leon's Wikipedia page because uh, we've been watching Poker Face, which Mm. is great, by the way. Mm. It's getting way too good reviews for us to ever talk about in any other capacity. That's right. But um, yeah, apparently in the early, early to mid 2000s, he had to evict her because of too many other Mm. complaints from tenants. Wow. And what a poker face-esque thing that would happen to her character or something, perhaps. Getting evicted by character actor. He's a whole thing, man. Michael Rappaport, hopefully nothing I said about enjoying him in random 90s movies, like fucking higher learning and whatever else. Oh, his Just weird not, politics? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Whatever weirdness he's up to, I could. I yeah, don't, we I don't can't know speak to any of that. We're uh, just talking about the guy. Look, I know he's kind of a... I know he can be kind of a goofball online. I feel comfortable saying that. <laughs> and I will not say much more. Great. You know more than I do. <laughs> I just blank, too. I can't even think of that many movies I liked him in, but they're out there. A True Romance would be another one, I think. Mm, yeah. um, I was going to say, too, LL Cool J is this thing, too. Another thing that happens in movies uh, in the 90s, and I have exactly two examples, uh, this being one of them, but on a nice big ship, the cooks, if you've seen Under, she- see- Under Siege and uh, Deep Blue Sea, the cooks are like the craziest, realest <laughs> motherfuckers that will... You know, secretly save the day. Which is probably why they wanted Sam Jackson to play that character initially. That makes sense. Although, right. if he was going to get killed, I, who it's, knows? It's, it's like, no, dude, we want you to be like a... Oh, yeah, that's true. Maybe it was more about that than it being a cook. Maybe it was like the cook that was supposed <laughs> to get fucking killed off in the first thing. Also, it's a bit odd. We were talking about... Uh, sorry not to jump around, but he also... Do you want to talk about how he said about the tongue-in-cheek? Oh, yeah. So, um, from that same microfish <laughs> interview <laughs> that I found. Before uh, before my partner left and said, hey, try to get some sleep tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I downed a glass of dry-ass whiskey and then, then I read this. Um, he says, uh, again, a quote from Rennie Harlan, I thought that in recent years, horror films have become a sort of bastard child in Hollywood as they're usually low-budget and done tongue-in-cheek. I wanted to take the genre back to the big-scale movie-making level of films like The Exorcist, The Shining, and Jaws, for which you have great actors and great production values, and you do it seriously. You're not winking at the audience. You're trying to scare them to death. Now... Man. (laughs) Reading that quote after having had an affection for Deep Lucy for a long, very long time. Yeah. I was really surprised by that. Yeah, it's like, I can get behind someone saying that, but it doesn't really, like, you know, because we didn't talk about this example, and this is where I just got there. He's talking about doing tongue-in-cheek stuff and then everything. It's just like, hello, cool, he's got a fucking bird on his shoulder, man. <laughs> right? Yeah, he's got a pet parrot with him the whole time. Hey, and the bird's name is even kind of like bird. a, like a, the lack of cleverness is, is the joke of it a bit, whatever right. you say. But, uh, yeah, so, that's pretty tongue-in-cheek. I don't know if we talk Completely. about the other big obvious fucking... It's a gag. Maybe, it's a maybe when it gets to be... When it gets further into the podcast, we're going we're gonna to probably yeah, talk around. about... We, we have to talk about a spoiler because it's, it's a big... It's a big uh, staple in pop culture. I it's think. a great moment of, yeah, all that, yeah. yeah, it, yeah but, but suffice to say, if you don't want to listen to a spoiler... That it very much goes against the I'm not do- going to do a tongue in cheek thing that Reddy Harlan yeah, was talking just, about. Yeah, it here. doesn't really track. And then it's funny because we were talking about that, but then just now as we were recording, I was like also thinking about the bird. Or <laughs> was like, okay, really get the fuck out of here with that. That's a great point. But uh, but no, that said, I I do like uh, Reddy Harlan. Uh, I understand yeah. it's like um, 
he does the you know the, the, a certain kind of person he makes big fucking movies and of course it's easy to say that they're devoid of certain you know whether it be intellectual merit or or this or that or whatever subtext subtext sometimes <laughs> sure making up as they go probably but uh i i you know i haven't seen ever cutthroat island i feel bad because that's just one of those movies that just took like an all-time beating it's a famous it's a famously like I read about it a lot. Like, I read a book about all the famous. Like, it's like, makes the book of the 10 biggest fucking, like, infamous money losers in history. It's just insane. And movies, I don't know. But you do wonder if, if, if there wasn't something he learned and he made Deep Blue Sea. Uh, there was, you know, it still sounds like it's always a nightmare no matter what to make a water movie. But, like, he had experience on a bit expensive water movie. So maybe he had, like, a second whack at it. And this is, you know what I mean? Like, came out better for it, is what I wonder. Well, it's interesting you bring up Cutthroat Island because uh, I guess this was sort of like a do-or-die type situation for Rennie Harlan as a filmmaker because he hadn't made a commercially successful movie since Cliffhanger in 1993. Which was fucking, like, up my alley. I was nine years old. I've never seen it. fucking hell, that movie blew me away. I loved it. Uh, It's a big, fucking, huge, explosion-ass movie, and if you take the ride, I think you're in good hands, generally speaking. Yeah. But something about Cutthroat Island. I'm not, I forget all the reasons, but it just didn't, it just wasn't there, right? Here's everything you need to know about <laughs> Rennie Harlan as a, as a filmmaker. Even in the ocean setting shark movie, there are multiple sustained explosions that go yeah. on for like, yeah. you know, 15 seconds. There are scenes where it's sort of literally raining fire. They're climbing up a, a you know, like a passage, like a, verti- ladder. Like, a, yeah, like a ladder up a, thank you, like a vertical passage and there's just in like an elevator shaft like an elevator shaft and there's water on the bottom rising and there's flames there's a little like and then you see the behind the scenes stuff there's literally a guy just like dropping these like flaming pieces of paper <laughs> at the actors and that's the thing <laughs> what a great day at work you remind me uh of so this movie was the sharks are they combined footage of real sharks and anim- animatronic sharks and cgi and what holds up the best are the practical effects. The animatronic shark still looks fine. Yeah. And that's a strategy that I think is like Jurassic Park does the same thing. It's mm-hmm. not the exact same, but it's that mix of know when you do one. And if, 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 you know, like I heard a great example when someone smarter than me put it, it was like, you see Alan Grant on the Stegosaurus's stomach. That's so oh, real yeah. that your brain kind of spots a little bit of the CG later, maybe. Right. Or it's just like, Oh, the dinosaurs are back or whatever. And it's just like that same, when you do it, it's a real, it's almost like a sleight of hand, whatever you'd say. It's mm-hmm. a, yeah. There's a, there's a trickery to it. And that's what's sort of cool is, because they they used this twenty oh a, a fun fact about the animatronic shark, uh, first of all it took the crew eight months to construct them, which I thought was substantial. That seems like a lot uh, of work. And the the shark supervisor, uh, I can't remember his name, but that's what <laughs> he was building. This guy's building a shark all day. Going, shark, oh, throw it out! God damn it! The shark supervisor said that they used airplane technology, hydraulic technology, to make the sharks. And every all of the cast and like the little behind the scenes featurettes that we watched remarked yeah. about how they didn't believe it was a machine it because does, it like, moved. It all. has its odd like lifelike movements, yeah. right? Not just like a herky jerkiness. And so it's funny to go eight months building a shark, and in my brain it's like a Lego set, and they have the head, <laughs> and then they have the fin, and then around month eight they finish. The, it's not that; it's that they're making this robotic thing that really moves like eerily lifelike. And yeah, they're yeah. studying sharks and making sure that they're they're animatronic shark actually mimics a real thing and uh another another little just tidbit about the way Rennie harlan's brain works that i like the animatronic shark used in jaws was 25 feet long so Rennie harlan decided there should be 26 feet long mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And it is. Yeah. Jesus. <laughs> you know, like some people might go the other way. They might go 24 out of respect, you know? <laughs> well, these are supposed to be like fucking big ass so This is like, yeah, suck it, Jaws. Um, but also, it makes sense. Everything just everything evolves and escalates and everything. So yeah, a, f- a foot longer. Not that it, not that it makes a discernible difference, but oh, and then a, sort of an interesting thing about maybe the the casting choices is that R- Rennie Harlan said that he wanted to ca- he wanted to, ca- to cast the same way as Alien, where you had no idea who was going to die and who was going to survive, and so the combination of the sort of unnamed actors and a star. Samuel Jackson, who he said anchors the whole piece. Mm-hmm. He really does. Absolutely. It, it is. I did think about Alien. There's. It, it, it reminds me a lot of stuff that I like. Uh, not, not to be a dick, but maybe stuff I like a little bit more. <laughs> but, but it does remind me of Aliens because, or Alien, uh, because it's this kind of lab thing. Only this one's in the water. But yeah, then you get the crew and you realize, oh, most, most of them are going to make it. Who's going to make it and stuff. Reminds me of Tremors a little bit, which I love because there's like three or four of them swimming around. And it becomes like a body count. Like, okay, well, we got rid of one more. Okay, how many are left? And a lot of ways it reminds me, watching it this time through, it's a, it very much like a, it feels like a video game in the sense of um, there's like action scenes. I mean, there's a lot of movies, of course, but then there's like the plot stuff felt like for a certain point it feels almost like a cut scene mm-hmm. where they're starting to talk about, okay, we'll go, we'll cut the lev- the lever and then we'll flood level two. And like, I don't know what they're talking about, but I get it. I get it fine. I'll, I'll be fine. When we get through the thing, I'll know what's going on. You know, <laughs> there's a little bit of that. And I mean, I'm sure the movie does a fine job of uh, explaining what's actually going on. It's just, uh, you know, about the, uh, you know, it becomes this thing of literally like flooding levels and moving around. I was like, I lost it a little bit, but I'm okay. I think I'll be okay. I trust you. <laughs> and the uh, it clocks in at an hour forty, and it moves. I don't think it. I don't think it drags at all. Mm-hmm. And that's maybe it could be even a little shorter. But it. Yeah. It. I'm not mad at it. Yeah. I think it. I think the pacing is good. You... Uh, and we were. It did. It did end up being quite commercially successful. Mm-hmm. Uh, it. The budget. I'm not sure why the estimation is so varied, but between 60 and 82 million. Okay. Worldwide gross of 165. Tight. Hey, yeah. not bad. And it, it opened uh, around the time uh, Blair Witch Project Blair and Witch, the Sixth... House on, or The Haunting, oh, oh, sorry, okay. The Haunting. Mm-hmm. And so then I think Sixth Sense was that year as well. So it's also interesting where these movies are probably largely getting made at the same time. So if he's talking about movies, he probably wasn't talking about those movies. But when he says like, I want to make mine like less tongue in cheek than other horror movies. And you look at the other movies that came out that year that actually sort of are less tongue in cheek. Maybe is he talking about Scream? Because maybe yeah, Scream is and then great from, from there. Yeah, but then that maybe spawned this wave of of like mm, inside meta. nudge nudge nudgy stuff. And he was he was trying to go back to the creature feature. Sure, that's what I think. Well, it makes me feel a little defensive if he's. He's putting down Scream with all of these well, comments. Listen, we think he might be listening to this episode based on his Google alerts. Randy Harlan, I listen, I liked Long Kiss Goodnight. Long Kiss Goodnight. Kundun, I liked it. <laughs> Marty! Kundun! I liked it! Actually, Long Kiss Goodnight is a fucking bonkers movie. If you've not seen it, it's probably within our within the range. I think I looked, I think it is, and I was saying before, too, that it's a, not only, it came up because we watched Deep Blue Sea via a Blu-ray uh, right. with, with a Samuel Jackson theme, a three-pack of of, of uh, Deep Blue Sea, Long Kiss Goodnight, and Snakes on a Plane, but I noticed it's two-thirds of a Randy Harlan triple-pack. A bargain at any price. Really good. I don't know what we paid for it, but it was a steal, clearly. <laughs> but as a kid, I was really taken by how fucking funny that movie was. And as a kid, too, Samuel L. Jackson connecting all this stuff even further and going back to just like Pulp Fiction is one of the movies that really cemented my like really getting into movies. 
he was everywhere in the 90s, but not in like a, this actor's played out. Overexposed. Or overexposed or... Uh, sometimes that's a sign of like a career traject- trajectory that's like, oh, they're just taking what they can get or whatever. It's like, no, like he just showed up and all kinds of stuff. Crushed I'm not saying everything. it was bulletproof, but like, goddamn, was so much of it. And then even you realize, then you do go back. He's in fucking Goodfellas. You talk about the decade that Samuel Jackson had <laughs> in the '90s. From Goodfellas, Pulp Fiction, capping it off with fun stuff like Deep Blue Sea, which uh, which the kids are still talking about today. If we consider ourselves kids, uh, which we should. Um, we're someone's kids. We're someone's kids. That's what I think. I was, uh, you just said Goodfellas, which reminded me of a, th- of a thought I had before, which is if Jaws is the Godfather, yeah. then for me, oh, okay. Deep Blue Sea is Goodfellas. Mm-hmm. Because while Godfather, it's like, it's like you should almost, if, you're, if somebody asks you your, your favorite mob movie or, or crime movie, whatever, it's almost like, well, yeah, given the best one is probably the Godfather, mm-hmm. but your favorite can be something else. It's kind of like the uh, like the academic answer or something. Or it's just like I've always thought my version of that is like if you ask who the funniest person on The Simpsons is, you say, well, it's Homer, obviously. But the fun conversation that, is who's the second funniest. <laughs> right. That's really the fun thing to dive into, maybe. Similarly to who's your favorite character on The Sopranos besides Tony, of course. Besides <laughs> Sylvia, no, okay. Besides Artie, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> yeah, besides yeah. everybody. Right. Um, I'm gonna say, I don't know, I say um, I, I, uh, we talked a little bit about it, but I just wanted before I forget because I thought this was a very, this is an observation I made that I thought was worthwhile. Um, with Thomas Jane, this was 99. I know from working at a movie theater for a couple of years, his version of The Punisher when he was, when he played The Punisher came out in either 03 or 04. I think maybe 04. He was in The Mist, which I'm actually a huge fan of that movie. And I think he's pretty good in there. That's but, a great movie. Yeah. But nevertheless, he was a guy, Thomas Jane. Like, you know, we say it. He doesn't necessarily uh, keep up with the acting and the charisma and whatever. He's, he's okay. He's not glaringly he's okay. awful. It's not like where they fucking get this guy. He's okay. There's a lot of guys that have been kind of good and they kind of get a look and you get a couple movies and then the world kind of goes, all right, all right, you know? I, 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 uh, like, uh, I feel mean, but it's people like like the Chris O'Donnell, Jason Biggs of the world. Chris O'Donnell. Chris O'Donnell played Robin in the Batman and Robin movie and was just like kind of a 90s version of it. And then I feel like they gave him a few movies and it didn't pan out. We were talking about Taylor Kitsch earlier mm-hmm. off Friday Night Lights and then Mr. Battleship. He was going to be the movie star and then Battleship, John Carter. Nope, nope, There's nope, some bad choices. Nope, yeah. But Battleship's one of those movies where we see, we occasionally will see a movie and then joke like, why didn't anybody call us and ask if should've they should make me. this? Should've called us. Could have saved you all that money. Call us Told up. you nobody wants the fucking Battleship movie. Yeah, yeah. Enjoy these naval exercises, Hopper. They're likely to be your last. So the the uh, underwater facility, as they're as they're traveling by plane to it. Samuel Jackson's character remarks that it looks like Alcatraz for boats, and I thought that, that that's a perfect description. It's pretty good, yeah, absolutely. And, and and with that, it it is a shark movie. <laughs> like okay, like you wouldn't confuse it for Jaws. No one's saying it's better than Jaws, but if you like this sort of excessive genre of movie, and I do greatly, and I do too. It is a shark movie that like figured out how to make like helicopter crashes and shit happen. And I, I'm not... You guys. It, I don't... Okay, it's not, oh, crash equals good, that's all I need. But, like, it is just, like, that's pretty creative as far as, like, the, uh, again, the excess of it all. And that's what's the thing about... What frustrates me, and maybe it's part of the reason why we ended up doing a podcast like this, is I don't know what critics want out of movies sometimes. Like, when when you see a trailer for this, or you even hear, like, they're making a, they're making a fucking blockbuster popcorn shark movie. Mm-hmm. And it that's exactly 
what you get out yeah. of this. Yeah. It, it maybe I thought Rennie Harlan was a little bit more self aware than he ultimately was with, but with his uh, remarks about anti tongue in cheekness or whatever. There is that bit in that quote where it's like, I, "Dude, I appreciate that you're working hard and taking movies seriously," but it's like, you know, when they make a movie like Jaws or The Shining or something. <laughs> okay, 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 no. Jaws, <laughs> The Shining, and Deep Blue Sea. Peas in a pod. But you know, even even with that. The critics' consensus on Rotten Tomatoes is Deep Blue Sea is no Jaws, but action fans seeking some toothy actions can, cer- can certainly do and almost have done far worse for B-movie thrills. That's well said, well put. Yeah, and yeah. I think that's the thing. And, and there's something good about that, because who cares what they think except for the fact that it kind of dictates what shows we do. But um, uh, when you do the... the, the uh, the legacy of Deep Blue Sea in this moment is 60%, which is like really, really sneaking in, you know? Yeah, I... Uh, the I, door I, was closing and they kind of looped it in there and you're like, hey, hey, critically acclaimed. Hello. Nice I, to see I that. gamed the system a little yeah, bit with yeah. our, you know, but yeah, fuck it. Whatever. Other movies are looking at Deep Blue Sea going, how'd you get here? <laughs> who you let were, that, you're here? Who let that guy in? <laughs> That's right. Uh... So uh, good, I think we should celebrate that again. It doesn't matter, but just score one when it when 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 you sneak in the back door. <laughs> I don't know if we've have, if we've entered the the part of the podcast where I can talk about spoilers, but I yeah we should because okay so, yeah I have something I was gonna say I liked about the ending okay and then uh, we, we, well we, before that we yeah. can talk about uh, the other little thing but, but so before the yeah if you don't want any spoilers about characters that may or may not make it in this dwindling party survival shark movie um thank you for those things so far but you know if you don't give a fuck <laughs> welcome yeah and we don't think and by the way i don't think that necessarily knowing these things will mean that you won't enjoy the movie if you haven't seen it yet and you are listening to this right right yeah okay well anyway so deep blue sea it's it's maybe not like would you say it's a cult cult movie uh, is it maybe know. not maybe it where, where it is it's like in in the very small genre of shark movies uh-huh. it's like maybe regarded as number two like like i said if if jaws is always going to be number one because mm-hmm. it's just it's the prototype mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but deep blue sea is is number is number two largely if and, it's not a cult classic it's like warmly regarded i think by today's you know i, I think it's appreciated in time a little bit yeah that being said, uh, the Meg, I think, could have been in the conversation if it had been rated R, which mm-hmm. it sadly was not. Mm-hmm. That was, I liked that movie, though. I liked The Shallows, right? Yeah, it was good. Good one. But one of the things that sort of also lives on, besides Deep Blue Sea being like maybe the second best shark movie, mm-hmm. or second favorite shark movie, whatever it is, um, is Sam Jackson's death scene is regarded as, as what, one of the best one of the best in... In movie that you might see in a movie. I mean, it's really up there. I don't know how you would do it better as far as... It's, again, it's like the same... It's like the flip on maybe the beginning of the movie when you say these people are toast. Mm-hmm. There's no part of you. That thinks... When you're watching that movie for the first time, I would think most people are not going, he's about to get it, you know? Absolutely. So, so... In a movie where people are getting it. The super shark... <laughs> the super smart sharks, <laughs> they figure out a way to... Uh, Get, basically fuck, fuck up the facility so that it's it's being flooded so they have to they're trying to get out of it and there's water everywhere 
and all it really seems like all is lost. Like their their numbers are down, mm-hmm. things are fucking bleak. They really don't know what what to do to get out of this alive. So then, as everybody's starting to turn on each other, Sam Jackson sort of pops up and gives like a hey, like we can't fall apart. Gives gives a yeah. big raw raw speech and in the middle of it's it's literally after he says now here's what we're first we're gonna like he go he launches into the plan now that i've rallied the troops and made everybody feel motivated Mm -hmm. here's what we do and then at that moment a shark pops up out of nowhere and rips him apart it's incredible now you've seen how bad things can get and how quick they can get that way well they can get a whole lot worse so we're not going to fight anymore we're going to pull together and we're going to find a way to get out of here first we're going to seal off this and like like mark just said no part of you is expecting that to happen Mm -hmm. And, and I think now maybe it's like it's just kind of out there as a thing. Yeah, and which, I is, think so. which is why it's we felt comfortable talking about it here. Right. It's it's the whole thing is it's a twenty year old movie roughly, and also just like it was it's a shark like, movie. It's like a shark movie. It's like Chappelle's show had like joked about it and his impression of him and everything. Like it's just kind of been bandied about before this, so I say we go for it. But uh, um, and I'll, we'd be remiss to not discuss it. For yeah, people it's, that it's, have seen it's the like movie. the best moment too, or one of them at oh, least. And just. And this is what exactly what we were talking about before when Rennie Harlan said, "Yeah, <laughs> that if it's he's... not tongue in cheek. Like this is a huge." So what is it if it's not <laughs> if it's not supposed to be funny? Yeah, because it's a huge laugh, and yeah. the character has been, I don't know, he's expendable, right? Like, like uh, I don't know, it's not the most heartbreaking loss in a way. I, I, he's you know, also... maybe your mileage varies on that, but go ahead. He's also well, he's the biggest name in the movie, so That's nowhere true. are you expecting it. That's very unexpected, it, but yeah. it's also. So it's like Janet Lee in Psycho, but instead of Sam Jackson's character getting killed off really early, or like Drew Barrymore in Scream, mm-hmm. they hold it to like halfway through the movie. Yeah. You're really not expecting it yeah. at that point. Yeah, and it's so well executed that even though I know it's happening, it's such a you know not overly long, but it's a decently long thing and i watch it now knowing it's going to happen and i don't remember exactly what moment it happens you know so it's still like i'm obviously not surprised in the same way but it's like exciting now or something just because you get to kind of watch knowing you know you know the thing's going to come so you can watch it differently like yeah it's really awesome totally but there are other funny moments in it too because well i i'm a big believer in horror movies kind of sort of needing to have a horror or a humor element to them Mm mm-hmm um, or at least that being a really enjoyable thing. But at one point, Stellan Sarsgaard... Scar- I can't fucking say his name. Mm-hmm. That guy's character <laughs> is sort of uh, smoking a cigarette by a shark that we think has been... That is out out cold because it's been tranquilized. Yeah, they, they caught and sedated it. They sedated it. To grab some of its brain goo, you see. Yeah, yeah. They got it on board. And, Mission accomplished is the vibe in the room. Yeah, right. And then he's just, he's just standing by the fucking shark pool. Trying to have a smoke, and then the shark out of nowhere just like grabs his arm off. Just a really good effect, yeah. Because it's the animatronic shark. Yeah. It's so fucking cool. And yeah, it's funny to think about, you know, was his arm just in reach because he was smoking a cigarette? Because then <laughs> that just escalates everything. Oh, him yeah. Having that, him having that cigarette arguably sets everything into motion. Is that like, at the beginning of Act Two, maybe? Right. <laughs> that's just the, the, the plot point that happens there that swings it into action is fucking Stella lights a cig. 
and the shark is already having a bad one. The last thing he needs is smoke going into his fucking eye. And, uh, yeah, so there's only one thing you do there, and that's take the whole arm off. <laughs> and what's sort of interesting is that we learn that they're doing dubious scientific practices. They're not They're not supposed to be giving the sharks giant brains. Yeah. Because that's, that's violating some convention. Yeah. Uh, so... A tree we've made arg- with sharks. Arguably, a lot of the a lot of the bad things that happens to the the team is maybe karmically earned, mm-hmm. um, and really just the the escalation of things that happens to the Skarsgård's character is uh, is just absurd. Because of the smart sharks, they're able to do things with that body to kind of you see in other horror movies like where they'll do something fucked up to kind of taunt the other you know the people like hey here's your friend fuck you but this is the first time i think a shark's done it where yeah i mean not to just describe the movie but it's in the trailer yeah he uh he brings his friend back to him and he throws him through the fucking window essentially and it's Uh, if you're not supposed to find it funny when a shark throws a fucking guy at a window yeah, yeah I don't know what Look, you're supposed to think. We've all seen some number of shark sequences in movies that the guy or girl gets bit, they start jerking around the water, they die, they get some... Never seen the shark bring the person back. That's unique. That stands out almost as much as Sam's death scene. Absolutely. And the problem... The thing that makes me so sad about loving shark movies is that so many of them are made to be bad on purpose. mm and I think they missed the point. You're talking about all those ones with the tornado full of them? Yeah. Well, not just the fucking Sharknados, but all, all of the, like, yeah. shitty, like, uh, Thanksgiving or whatever. Like, movies oh, like that the, are supposed yeah. to be, like, just... it. They're going for the Mystery Science Theater vibe. Yeah. But they're... They completely miss the spirit. It's like how the people from Jackass talk about their imitators. Mm-hmm. They don't feel threatened by them anymore because they don't capture the spirit of the thing. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly what I think. It's yeah. like you, you think that you're mimicking this thing, but you're kind of, you're taking, you're missing the heart of it, man. Mm-hmm. Randy Harlan didn't want to make a bad movie or make like a campy shark movie. Yeah. I, I, I <laughs> listen, or reading his quotes or even listening to him talk on that fucking DVD special feature thing. Yeah. He wanted to make, he was very sincerely making a movie. And that, I think, is the the fucking missing ingredient from all these other modern tries. Yeah, I think, yeah, uh, you, you want that. I, I love the big blockbusters of the 90s. Not exclusive to the decade, but like movies like Twister and, and, and fucking Independence Day and Deep Blue Sea have these directors behind them. The Mummy? Like, this fucking story means so fucking much to me and these characters. <laughs> and it's like, of course people watch that movie and... Largely dismiss it because it's either, you know, it's just a big old popcorn blockbuster or whatever. But it's like, I don't know, like, fucking hella passionate people at the, at the, at the helm of them. And, and when I, uh, I don't know if this this fits here at all, but while we're talking about, you know, spoilers and things like this, this isn't even so much a spoiler, but something I liked about the ending. By the time the ending was rolling, you're realizing, oh, things are wrapping up. Uh, like there's no, there's no like love story just in here arbitrarily. There could have easily been an attraction between Thomas Jane and Saffron Burroughs. I think it's hinted at. It's hinted at a little yeah. bit. Uh, and that's, you know, that's fine. You know, that, that's no problem. There's, sure. there's, there's, there's whatever. They're all human. Uh, but I just feel like, you know, a movie could get bogged down with that shit sometimes. Absolutely. Just it almost just feels like a requisite in, in sometimes and you see it like in action movies and stuff like that too, of just like by the way, they're in love by the end. I'm just like, but they were like killing people or fighting for their lives or something. But you know. like aren't they traumatized? <laughs> Don't they have some bigger things to right. deal with right now? Yeah. 
But uh, that's, thank you for saying that about the ending, because that reminded me of uh, something I learned, that the ending was changed shortly before the theatrical release. So Which, they sort of... Not a good sign, generally. They, right, they sort of subvert the, uh, the final girl trope, um, where you might expect, especially when you look at the poster of the movie, that it ends with just uh just that lone scientist played by saffron burroughs susan McAllister, um if that matters it helps okay. i'll remember that over saffron burroughs no offense that's hard to say it's just, yeah i yeah i think it's yeah worldger McAllister. Uh, McAllister. but uh so it 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 doesn't and yeah it turns out point. that I thought about that. her character doesn't doesn't make it through the events because a test audience thought that she didn't deserve her character didn't deserve to carry on. They didn't realize how much of a villain she was coming across as. Correct. Ah. Uh, so about a, a mo- about a month prior to the release, a test audience didn't like that Burroughs' character escaped the shark infested water and lived uh, through the the. There's a part where she sort of sacrifices herself. To save other characters. So that still happened? Yeah. Okay. It and just... And okay. uh, the audience perceived the character as the movie's villain because she was responsible for all of the research She's and experiments. She's the human that set this into... Yeah. Yeah. It's it's her brainchild. But what do you think of that? Because, you know, you watch the movie, certainly at the beginning, when I think back to that now, she has the whole speech about my, my grandfather, grandfather, the Alzheimer's. Do you know what it's like? Do you know what this does to people? Do you know how many people have this? And it, like it's set up as very, like, her uh, intentions are righteous and stuff. And so obviously... That is what maybe what clouds her do stuff and look at what where we're at now. But I don't know. Was that? It, it's interesting if the perception got away from them on her. Well, I don't. I think that that was intentional because you. She does. There are a series of decisions that she actively makes in the movie where she puts people in danger because she doesn't want to. She doesn't want to lose the research that they've already. Gotten. Don't start over, so to speak. They've, right? they, they've got the fucking goo, and if they if they kill the sharks because they're dangerous, no more goo. Yeah, and they got uh, producing some good goo. Finally, <laughs> that causes her to make some make some less than stellar choices. Uh, so they had to do a one day reshoot, and they used oh. computer generated shit to change the ending. So when you said different, I thought it was going to be like they came up with that whole sacrifice bit. But mm. it's almost like regardless of how they got there, she lived through the sacrifice, which just seems a little wonky, right? Because her, it's very much like... Well, my, I guess I don't know if it was... That's all the information I have. Okay, fuck it. Um, I, I, it's interesting, and I just happened to notice on the thing that it, I, we don't have to dwell on it, but I was going to ask you about a sequel, but there, it seems like there was. Maybe maybe it's a directed video from 20 years later, but I wondered because they almost hinted at it when you were going to say, uh, because... Towards the end, of course, it's like there's all these things along the way, mini problems, right? Oh, no, now they're, oh, now it's this. And it's the thing at the end where they're like, oh, fuck, they might actually get out into, like, the whole, like, world or whatever. They might escape this facility. And then go breed and make a, make a whole species of fucking super And they kind of hinted sharks. at that. It was like, ooh. So I wondered if you knew if there was ever, at the time, this sounds like way later someone cashed in on direct, that's almost like a different thing. Did you come across, was there talk of a sequel in the day, back in the day, and was it going to be called Deep Two Sea? Oh my God, I I did not see anything like that. Not to say that there wasn't talk of it, but um, that sounds like a good movie. There were <laughs> so again, ninety nine. This came out a directed video sequel, regrettably just called Deep Lucy Two. 
They blew it. It's right there. Uh, released in 2018. That's what, yeah. It's just, who, yeah. And there's no hope of that being any no it, watchable at all, right? I'm certain it's just like a vaguely similar plot at best, right? Amazingly, um, also, uh, Deep Blue Sea 3, July 2020. They got cooking on it, man. Someone got the rights or something. That thing happened where they slipped away from whoever had it and they're like, oh, or the opposite. They were going to lose the rights, so they said, cool, and they got cooking. Um, so I, f- I pulled up the uh, the Wikipedia page for Deep Blue Sea 2, and I'll just read the plot synopsis. Or that's the, a nice uh, way to put it. It is a standalone sequel. <laughs> that's a nice way to say this has nothing to do with the fucking part one movie. In the film, a shark conservationist is hired to consult on a top secret project involving genetically enhanced bull sharks, I'll say, funded by a pharmaceutical billionaire. However, the highly intelligent super sharks turn on their masters and begin to pick them off one by one. It sounds like more of a fucking remake than yeah. a sequel. Yeah. Well, it's a standalone sequel, is what it is. Hmm. It's like the Evil Dead 2 thing where you just kind of do it over, maybe, but different because it's different filmmakers and no one else is involved. I'm not familiar with anybody attached to it. We're probably not going to watch that one, for the record. I don't want to. I will say, though, you know... It's flaws notwithstanding. It's a it's a movie made of tropes, but sometimes tropes are tropes because they're effective. Yeah, and I think most movies, like I said, even like there's very few movies on this level, and you can argue whether they're good or bad. But there's very few movies I would I would say that get made at this level that aren't at least aware enough of some of the tropes to kind of subvert at least some of them enough to make it interesting. Like right, there's very few just literal all the way. You know, I guess it wouldn't be a literal cookie cutter, but you know, they're actual in the sense of like the beginning. You think people are dead. they're not. You don't think Sam. You know, there's enough fun along the way, so it's just like a thing of like there's familiar things happening, and enough enough uh, misdirects or whatever you want to call it. But I do think it's a fun. It's a fun genre thing, and, and yeah. for coming out like summertime, you know what I mean. You can just see where uh, if you go into this with realistic expectations, I think uh, I think it's a bang up, bang up job. I mean, if you hear that. If you hear anything about this movie at all and it sounds good to you, it probably will be. But conversely, if you don't like horror movies, you don't like shark movies, and you don't even like campy movies, yeah. then, I don't know, I would probably avoid it. Yeah. And if it's not the second best shark movie, what is? What is, man? It sounds like extreme or something to say, maybe, right? But, you know. Interestingly, um, in 2009, Randy Harlan did an interview uh, where they asked him about... He, I guess he previously said that Deep Lucy was the hardest film he ever made. Mm-hmm. And they asked him if he still felt that way. It was an interview with Den of Geek. If anybody wants to Google this. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he, he said, definitely. And he spoke to just the, the intensity of the water uh, involved in, in the process. He says, maybe 80 shooting days we were standing in the water or we were underwater. Just the practicality of putting a wetsuit on in the morning, being in the water all day. Your script, all your paperwork has to be made of plastic paper. And things you wouldn't think of, think would ever float, they float. Uh, so you put some water into the set, and all of a sudden, the table is floating away, and all the furniture is going somewhere. Or then things you hope would float actually sink, and you can't find them anywhere. But he does say that he enjoyed it, and he loved the challenge of something like that. So that's nice. It's gotta be a hard fucking work, and like I said, he came off of the Cutthroat Island. I do wonder if there was an element of like, well, like you said, it's do or die. That was more important than... How much worse could it be? It is easy to look back at it and say that now, but I'm sure he was like, please let this go better than Cutthroat Island. But what, I think it did. What did he do after? I looked. It seems like he stayed busy, and I just, uh, maybe uh, they're less 
lesser blockbuster, but he's staying busy. He did oh. Skip Trace in 2016 with Jackie Chan and Johnny Knoxville that I've never seen, but why wouldn't I want to see it? He worked with our boy John Cena in 2009 on 12 Rounds. 12 Rounds I never saw. That I was, am not interested in. Might have been his last big one. I would look at that one. Um, yeah, he just, you know, maybe they got to be more, it's called VOD these days. He's attached to the untitled Third Strangers film I'm being shown. Wait, is this the is this the Rock movie? No, it's not. For a split second, I thought he worked with both John Cena and The Rock within a few years of each other. I was going to think that was funny. Different Hercules movie, though. Sorry. Anyway. Well, I'm out of shit. Me too, man. Deep Blue C. I give it a Deep Blue B. Oh, boy. Well, if that isn't an ending, I don't know what is. <laughs> Sorry. As, as Poet Laureate LL Cool J once said, Deepest Bluest. My hat is like a shark's face. Thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, find us wherever you found us. Oh, and let us know if we missed any obvious uh, title tracks made by people that are in the movie. Bleeding to death with no arms or short sleeves. My world's deep blue, killers gotta eat too. Looking for human flesh to rip my teeth through. Other fish in the sea, but barracudas are equal to a half human predator created by a needle. Jet black eyes, baby, they stare while you sleep. A little Titanic sink, I'm the one you gon' meet. Hearing terrified screams, they surround my team. All you see is trails of blood, either God won't intervene. Nightmares of darkness, my appetite is heartless. Even if we related, you eliminate it.